we're little, but we can be loud. That's good. No I have no head. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it needs to be. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. Okay. Some five, some may appreciate that I have no head. <laughs> They're actually watching like, oh, that looks better. Um, <laughs> hey, well, good morning. Uh, man, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, one, that Easter is just around the corner. Um, I spent the last two nights at Universal Studios yelling at high school students because they're graduating and they came to Universal to have fun. Um, just not too much fun. That was the plan. No, but um, um, but I'm, I'm glad to be here today and I'm, I'm excited about this whole series because if you know anything about me, if you've been around me at all, that grace plays a huge part in, in my life. It, it always has. I know the grace I've received. I know the grace I haven't deserved. And I know that grace um, is constantly changing me and challenging me. And that's what this has been about um, over the last couple of weeks as, as we're wrapping it up is, is this idea that grace is more than forgiveness. I feel like we just so underestimate what grace is so many times. We, we just kind of look at it and say, well, I'm forgiven, just grace, 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 that's good. Or it's a prayer I say before a meal. And we have just understood that it's more than forgiveness, that it's actually transforming us. It should be shaping us and turning us into the image of Christ, which is the goal of our faith to begin with. I know I say that all the time, but I just I really want that in your heads. The goal of our faith is not heaven. It is to be transformed into the perfect person that we were always supposed to be in the image of Christ. And then last week we talked about humility. And, oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but through humility, that's where grace abounds in us. And so we've learned all these things that grace isn't and what it should be. So what do we do with it? Well, for us, it's sharing grace. It, it, it's, that's what this, when we have this abundant grace that we get, it gets to the point where we just want to start sharing it. But we share it in grace, we share peace, and we share truth. And that's what I want to talk about is how those three kind of combine all together <coughs> in the way that we should live and the way you should speak. So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 1. If you don't have them, we have them here. Um, hopefully, if you can connect to our Wi-Fi, if you want to use that, GBC guest, just type in Find More, all lower caps. You can come follow along with that. Um, and as always and forever, and these are the words that change. These are the words that are important. Um, and so out of acknowledgement of that and um, out of the authority of these words, I'm asking if you to stand with me as we open God's word this morning. And we read in John chapter 1, starting at verse 14. It says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This is the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we have, received all, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to gather. God, I thank you that you knew everyone that would be here this morning. God, this church, our lives, all of it, this world is in your hand. You are in control. Uh, we don't have to worry about what the news says and, and all these other things, God. We know that you're in control. And that because of Easter, because of what we're about to step into, because of you entering Jerusalem, because of you dying on the cross and then rising again, God, grace abounds for us. God, may that just sink into us this morning. 
God, may we be so filled, so overflowed with your grace and your peace and your truth that it just flows out of us. God, would you just speak to us this morning? God, would let, let this be your words, not mine. God, just take away all the distractions, all the other voices of all the other things that are happening in our lives for just the next few moments, God, and let your voice be the only one we hear. God, give us ears to hear. God, give us hearts to respond and the courage to live this out. Whatever needs to be dealt with, let it be dealt with today. And may you get all the glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, this whole idea about grace and truth, it, it doesn't seem like we're arguing a lot over what truth is today. I mean, I mean we, we, have, we have gone to kind of a subjective truth and, and this idea of what's true for me is not, may not be true for you, which is ridiculous when you just look up the definition of truth. Um, but we, we are arguing over what, what truth is, and the fact is that the Bible is very, 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 very clear that in Jesus is the measurement of truth. In fact, that's why he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me in John 14. It's not a truth. It's not a way. It's the truth, which means every other truth is measured according to his word and his life and what he said and what he did. And, and so we can do that. That doesn't mean that there aren't other truths. Gandhi had some amazing truths. Even Muhammad had some amazing truths, but measured in, it all has to be measured according to Christ. So what does that have to do with grace? Because the fact is, is that grace and truth are intertwined. In fact, that, in, that, in that what he said in verse 14, in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The, the truth is, is those have to come together because apart from grace, we cannot speak truth. But apart from truth, we really can't speak grace either. Sometimes it's a truth that people don't want to hear. Sometimes it's a truth we don't want to hear or it's hard and stuff. But it's always measured by grace. And in the same fact, it's, it's not grace if we're not telling anybody. Which, which, why I'm always pushing you, go tell your story. Tell what God's doing in your life. Share the gospel. Do all these things. And in fact, we're going to go on a whole series after Easter called Who's Your One? Like, I just want to make it as simple as possible for you. Like, who's your one? Just one person that I can share grace and I can share truth <clears throat> and I can do all that. But apart from it, apart from truth, we really don't give grace. And apart from grace, we really can't, or apart from truth, we can't give grace. Apart from grace, we really can't speak truth. Truth about grace is judgment. And unfortunately, that's the view of many people of what we represent. And by the way, it's our fault. We, we've done that. We're the ones with picket signs. We're the ones that say, well, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. That's not our job. We are to speak grace, and we are to speak truth. And, and so we have to do that. And we get that when we understand that grace is more than just forgiveness, just a prayer, grace. In fact, in fact that's what in John 1.16, he says, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. Um, the NIV may say blessing upon blessing. I like this translation better because it is grace and more grace, grace and more grace, because grace is more. 
It, it's multi-layer. It's not just this idea that I come and pray one time and I receive grace and that's it, or I have a limited supply and I got to hold on to it. But it is more, and it's more. Grace is endless. It's boundless. God's grace, that it is a well that never, ever runs dry. In, in fact, C.S. Lewis kind of put it this way. He says, God beckons us to come farther and further. Farther up and farther in is what he says. Is that it is this continuous process that every day we get a little more grace. We understand a little bit more grace. We, we receive a little bit more grace. And because we receive a little bit more grace, we can give a little bit more grace. You know, the, the problem is, is um, grace is an ocean. Isn't that a song? <laughs> I think it's a song. It should be. I think it is. And I understand why, but the problem is, is the grace is this huge, gigantic ocean, and most of the time all we do is we kind of just dip our toe in the corner. And we were never s- meant to dip our toes in the grace. We were meant to dive fully in, to get the fullness of it, to, to get all that, and, and, and just keep growing that. Because, I mean, remember James 4, 6? We, we talked about this last week, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That he gives us <coughs> more and more grace. <coughs> that there is greater grace as we humble ourselves, as we understand that, okay, God, you're God, I'm not. Not putting ourselves down, but just humbling ourselves and knowing that, God, I can't do this without you. I need your strength. I need your power. I, I need all of this in, but it, it all comes from you. And so there is greater grace. And just kind of rehash that humility brings greater grace. That's what James is talking about. I think James understood that. I think James understood that better than anybody else, really. Because who was his brother? Anyone? Thank you. <laughs> you guys don't whisper. There's a few of us. We can talk. It's okay. <laughs> That's right. You'll be picked up and nobody will see your face. <laughs> but but it, it, it's true that that um, man, he, he must have been like, man, I'm his brother. Look at me. And in somewhere along the line, he I think he understood the fullness of what that meant. That it became not just my brother, he became my savior. You know, James was the head of the church in Jerusalem. He was so respected for his humility and for his compassion and for his, I'm standing at and the way he lived his life. Do you understand that at the end of this, this enemy of the Jewish council, the, the Jewish leaders who said, man, we want to squash this out. At the end of this, James died. And they were going to just take his body and just get rid of it because they didn't want to make a big deal. The entire city rioted <laughs> and said, this is, was an amazing person. He gets a proper burial. I mean, and that's because he lived that out. Because I think James understood that, you know, as 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 I humble myself, as as I get this idea, I get more grace. And and here what here's what happens really cool is humility, when we come with a humble heart, when we come with with that attitude and that peace, is that it actually becomes creates an atmosphere of peace for us. When we understand that God is in control, that I have no control, that he's sovereign, and that no matter what happens, good or bad, that he's got a plan and all that, and I can trust him in that, and I humble myself before him, it creates this atmosphere of peace around us. You know, if you're living a life and you're like, I have no peace, I'm going to tell you, have you humbled yourself yet? Have you acknowledged, God, I need only you and only you? 
That's the only way I'm going to make it through. Have we humbled? Because it creates this atmosphere of peace. And what that does is it allows us to speak truth filled with grace. See, when we're humble, it's not about me. It's about him. See, the problem is there's too many Christians that feel like they, they're going to save everybody. Can I just take that pressure off of you? You don't save anybody. There's only one who died on a cross, lived a perfect life, and then rose again. Only one. It's, it's his job. And so as we understand this idea that this atmosphere of peace comes around us, it allows us to speak truth, but truth of grace. It's like my old friend, it says, he used to always say, he saw people struggling and all kinds of things going on, doing horrible things. He says, except by grace, so go I. Except by grace, so go I. If it wasn't for God's grace, I, I would be that person. He didn't judge he wasn't putting him down. It was this humble heart knowing, like, this is what I've received. And because of that, I can give. So how does grace, <coughs> how does grace and peace work together? How, how does it, the very first thing I want you to realize, I don't know if you knew this, but Paul opened every letter that he wrote with that phrase, grace and peace to you. Do you know that? Thirteen times Paul writes grace and peace. Every single, go and check me, every single book that he wrote, every single thing that he put down, he started out with grace and peace. And it, we look at that and says, well, that's, you know, that's just a nice salutation. It's a nice greeting. No, I think Paul understood that we needed both of them. We need grace and we need peace. He was a church planner to the extreme. He was the first real church planner. He was going places where it was death sentence to start a church. There were struggles. He wrote so many books, and some were to exhort them and to and encourage people. And some of them were like just to condemn and say, you're doing it wrong. But in all those letters, there's grace and peace. How many of you have ever figured being like chastised brings peace? <laughs> or being told you're wrong brings peace. Or Actually listening and taking in a sermon brings peace. Because that's what Paul was doing. It was all about grace and peace because we needed both of them. And he knew he was called to give it away. Did you know that? Did you know that peace is something for us to give away to others? In fact, that's what, that's what Jesus said back in Luke. Back in Luke um, 10, he goes, Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this household. Peace to this household. We were supposed to enter places and say, we want to bring peace here. And he said, if they don't accept it and it comes back, you, you know, knock the dust off your feet and walk away. But we are supposed to be bearers of peace and grace wherever we go. Because it is ours to give because we have been getting. Paul wrote these to encourage and correct they were sources of grace peace and grace should be prized above all else that's what paul i think that's why paul started every letter that way that above everything else peace and grace should be prized and it should be the same for us that's the thing that should just drive us is the peace that we've received from god knowing that we are peace do you understand the bible says that at one time we were enemies of god I mean, that sounds kind of harsh, but think about it. Either God, you say either you're for me or you're against me. There's no in between. 
That while we were sinners, we were enemies. While we were still the enemies of God. While we were still against him, Christ died for us. And so we have received peace through reconciliation because of what Christ did for us. And because of that, we've received grace. And it should be prized above all else. We, we should be bearers. We should be the greatest peacemakers on the planet as followers of Christ. Because we're the only ones with the true source of peace and grace. And they should always be given away. In fact, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. And he's talking to the disciples here, but I think that comes to us also. Is that freely you have received, freely you give. We have received all this. None of us earn God's peace. None of us earn grace, and it is an overflowing fountain that just keeps flowing in us. And so since we have gotten it for free, shouldn't we give it to? Shouldn't we be willing every single day to offer grace and peace to everyone that we come in contact with? I mean, why would we hoard that? <laughs> why would we keep that in? If it's filling, you know, hey, all right, how, who's ever felt really bloated? I believe with all my heart we have churches full of Christians that are bloated. <coughs> because they have freely received, but they're not giving. They're not giving. And at some point we forget where it comes from. At some point that starts drying up in us because we think it's our own source then. See, God's economy is very interesting. You can never outgive God. You know, financially, spiritually, relationally, all those things, you cannot outgive God. And the strange economy, like our economy says, you know, have a savings account, invest your money, build this up, and do all that stuff, which is all good and it's important. I encourage you to do that. I'm trying to do it. You should do it. We should all try to, like, balance our budget and live a godly financial life and do all stuff and, 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 and save for the future and prepare for all that stuff. But the thing about God, he says, the more you give away, the more I'm going to give. The more grace I offer, the more grace I receive. The more peace I offer, the more peace I receive. It's a strange economy. Imagine going to someone and says, I got something that you can invest in that's like 600 times. It's going to come back to 600 times. Do you know anybody? When it's not a lottery ticket. <laughs> we have been given freely and so we should freely give but there there are obstacles to this there are obstacles to our grace and there's a couple things in closing that i just we've got to look at and we've got to deal with some of these obstacles and, and, and kind of get over them these are the things that stop us from receiving grace and definitely stop us from giving grace and so the first one is bitterness you guys know what bitterness is right unforgiveness it's deeper than unforgiveness it's this idea i love people that say i have forgiven everyone listen forgiveness is not forgetting but it's also not bringing it up over and over again see if if you're dealing with a hurt or someone's done something to you and i understand hurt i understand betrayal listen jesus understands it better than anybody 
his closest people are the ones that betrayed him on the night he needed them the most. Don't you love it when Jesus rose again and he went to John and they're sitting there and he made them fish and they're sitting on the side. He just asked him, hey, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, yeah, I love you. No, do you love me? Peter's like, I'm, I'm offended now. Jesus, you know I love you. And he's like, yeah, but did you know? He didn't say, are you going to deny me again? Are you going to deny me again? Are you going to deny me again? See, I love that the Bible says that when our sins, when we bring it to God and we, we cast it on him and we confess it to him, that he takes it and far, throws it as far east as from east and far west as from west, that it's gone. And God doesn't bring it up again. That's forgiveness. And when we hold on to that, and it, and, and it drives it all down into us, it becomes bitterness. In fact, there's a great warning about bitterness. bitterness. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. You hear, I, I love they call it a root. There are certain oak trees, like in Florida, that they really shouldn't plant near houses <laughs> because those roots go everywhere. Like we had one house at one time, we were in Bradenton, we had one house one time and our something leaked in our bathroom. We had to pull up the floor and I, we pulled up the floor and there were like roots coming up from the bottom of the house. That's what bitterness does. It, it gets everywhere. And, and look how it says, well, no one falls short of the grace of God. Why? Because a root of bitterness is coming because I'm holding on to some hurt. I'm holding on to some unforgivable act. And because of that, I'm missing out on grace. When you don't forgive, when you hold on to that stuff, you lose grace. And it doesn't only affect you. We think that it does. We think we're all alone. Like, it's just my bitterness. It's just my anger. No, man. It says it defiles everyone. Defiling many. It, it, it affects other people and their grace bitterness affects everyone around us and so if that's what you're dealing with this morning deal with it there's a god that's bigger than our hurts our tragedies our betrayals and if you want to experience the fullness of grace to the point that i can share it with everyone you've got to deal with bitterness Next one is the word scarcity. I don't like that word. It's not a great word. But it's this idea that grace is only in fixed amounts. That, that there's only so much grace available to me. And so I've got to hold on to what I have. I can't because I may not get any more. If you haven't heard anything else over the last couple of weeks, I just want to say grace is the well that never, ever runs dry. There is plenty of grace for today, tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. There is grace enough for all of eternity, except we hold on to it. It's only in a fixed amount, so I have to keep what I have, and, and, and we forget that it is an endless supply. 
Listen, if that's your idea of grace, that it's only so much, I only get so much for this life, and it's like a savings account. I can only take so many withdrawals out per month because, you know, I'm going to get penalized, and then I've got to keep it, keep it, keep it, and hopefully I have enough. It's not a retirement account. It's not an IRA. It's not a 401k. It's none of those things. Grace is endless in its supply, (coughs) and we have all we need whenever we need. It's not scarce at all, because if it was, that would not be a God worth following, would it? This is why I hurt and struggle for so many people that sit there and they're trying to let their good outweigh their bad. And they think that's what it, it's all about, what I appear to be and how good I am. Because they're always trying to weigh that balance, they're always trying to outweigh it. And, and I just look at it and say, isn't that exhausting? The difference between Christianity and faith in Jesus and every other belief is the word grace. And it is endless in supply. Every other belief system is a work system. And that's got to be exhausting for us. We still have people filling our churches that figure like, uh, I'm a good person. That's great, but you're not good enough. It is grace that puts us over. And there's plenty. It's not scarce for us at all. Last thing I want to talk about um, on grace is the idea of a community of grace. <coughs> and it, this is a big deal for me. I, mean, we, I know a lot of churches have gotten away from like membership and all that stuff, and I understand why. Because we've made membership kind of like a club thing. We've made it something like, hey, I join, I'm part of a club, I'll get a, I'll get a T-shirt and everything or a hat. And it's good. It's like joining a political party or doing all that stuff. And we've made it kind of something that it's not. But we are talking about, when, when first it's talking about in the Bible, a community of grace, it, it's talking about the church. You, you need to understand that the, the entire New Testament, including in the Gospels, the focus is the church, and it's the local church more than it's the universal church. I know we like that too. Well, I'm part of the universal church. Well, praise God, so am I. But, you know, Paul wrote to the local church that there was this idea that this community came together. That this people came together as a family. We are invited into God's family and to join his family. Guess what? We're his family. We are a dysfunctional family most of the time. How many of you get along with all your brothers and sisters, your aunts, uncles, cousins, and everything all the time? If you do, God bless you. You are special. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm the youngest of three. I was the one they would send to ask permission for things that they knew they would get grounded for. (laughs) (laughs) I've got an older sister. She's my friend now. She's my older sister and and everything. And I still remember the day. I'm letting go of the bitterness, but I still remember the day when she broke my Lone Ranger rifle over the back of my head. (laughs) All I did was shave her Barbies. I don't understand why. They look nice, but but the truth is, is we're a family, and that gets ugly sometime, and that gets hard sometime, and everything, but we are a family, and we're called to stick together. In fact, turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 4. <coughs> 1 Peter 4. Peter is talking about the church and this family and and how they should behave. And starting in verse 8, he says this, Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of the sins. 
Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength for, from the strength God provides. So that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He says, man, we are supposed to love one another because love covers a multitude of sins. It really does. Love should be that grace should be, like I said earlier, should be the focal point, the presence. And so when we one person hurts, we all should hurt. If one person has fallen, then we find ways to restore them and help them come back and be a part of the family. We don't just kick out. The problem is, is we've made church something like we choose like restaurants. We look on what's the menu and if they change the menu, we, I'm going to a different restaurant. If things are different, they don't do this. They don't do that way. They don't do like that. I mean, think about this. There are 25,000 denominations in our world today. It's not churches. That's just denominations. No wonder we pick and choose and we go where we want. I think church shopping... Is not biblical whatsoever. I think you go someplace where you were called, you sign up, you co- you covenant with that group, and you're there. Good, bad, whatever happens, you live life through them just like a family. We don't like kick out my family. There were times I looked at my daughters and I'm like, go away. <laughs> but they never stopped being my daughters. They never stopped being my family. We keep going. How can we grow when we are free to wander from one family to another? How can we grow? You know, it's funny, in that passage, it's easy to miss grace, isn't it? It says, above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers the multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Verse 10, just as each one of us has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. And interesting, that word grace is right in the middle of that passage. Grace should be right in the middle of our church. Always. It, sh- it should be centered. We show grace through our love, through our hospitality, through serving in a community of grace. We get to speak it and show up because we're all in. We extend grace because we received grace. See, the truth is, We're caretakers of grace, not consumers of it. That's that's the problem. I, I like how it says that, you know, we should steward, be good stewards of the very grace. Have you ever thought of grace as something you steward? You know, when we talk stewardship, we're always talking, we think about money and all that stuff. But have you ever thought about, like, your gifts, your abilities, the grace you've received you're supposed to be a good steward of? You're supposed to take care of it? Not just consume it. That's one of the problems of our church. We've become such a consumer culture. That's why we bounce around. We go where the best show is or the best entertainment or the most programs and stuff. We go there because we're consumers instead of caretakers. We're stewards of it. I challenge you this week. Read Matthew 25 or Luke 19, the parable of the talents. Do you guys remember that parable of talents? You know, the, the ruler gives certain talents to each member. He gives 10, gives 5, gives 1, and he goes away. 
and, and, and they're supposed to like take care of them and be caretakers of it. Instead of the word talents, put grace in. Change talents for grace and, and read that passage because here's what happens. When God gives us grace and we're good stewards of it, it multiplies. The first two, they came back and it multiplied for them and the, and the master, the king was ecstatic for them. The one that held it and said, I've only got this much, I'm going to take care of it, it was taken away and he was thrown into prison. It's, it's the same way of grace because there's a reward when, when we get to grace. In fact, we find that in Master, Matthew 25, 21. It says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Share your master's joy. Do we understand that when we are stewarding grace, when we are living out grace, letting it transform us, and we are sharing it wherever we go with the peace, with the, with the truth that comes along with it, all tied together, and we're sharing that, that we get to share in our master's joy. What an awesome motivation. Who on this planet does not want joy? Not happiness, joy. Remember, happiness deals with your circumstance. Joy is constant all the time, and it comes only from God. And how do we share in it? We share the grace that has been freely given us freely with others. Everywhere we go. And we best express that I think in the body, the local body. See, because if we can share grace and love with each other, we sure can share grace and love with people out there. I'm not saying we overlook sin. I'm saying we're going to call sin, sin here. And that's going to offend some people. That's going to make some people leave. But as we do that, we're also going to share there's grace. There's always a way back. There's always, nothing is unredeemable, irredeemable, whichever way you want to say it on this planet. God can redeem everything. And we are the bearers and caretakers of that grace. And it grows in us as we give it away. Sinclair B. Ferguson, he's, he was a theologian. He says, we must never forget, if we are to grow in grace and therefore grow like Christ, the one we trust, love, and serve is a crucified Savior. To follow him means taking up the cross as well as denying ourselves. It means a crucified life. Grace's job, grace's goal is to transform us into like the likeness of Christ. It is more than just being forgiven. It is, it is a lifestyle. It is something that should fill us every day to the point that it's overflowing and we're sharing it with everyone. And because of that, we will carry peace with us wherever we go. We will carry truth with us wherever we go. It's really funny. As I said, the last couple of nights, um, we had grad bash. It's where all the seniors come to Universal Studios, and they get a little crazy, and they get a little nuts. And I walk in, and all my sergeants and my supervisors are like, oh, good, you're here tonight. Did you pray before you came? None of them are Christians. I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Every time I walk in here, I pray peace over this because I'm a bearer of peace I'm not saying it's always peaceful but I'm saying there's nothing that overwhelms us because I carry peace with me because I want to be known as a peace bearer a peacemaker I want to be known as someone full of grace 
I want to be known as someone full of truth. And wherever I go, I can give that because it's been freely given to me and it overflows. That's the church we need to be. We, you know, people that ask me, how do we grow the church? You know, how, how do we expand the church and grow? And there, there's things we can do. We can get a bigger space. We can do all kinds of stuff. I think the number one thing that we do is we become a people full of grace, peace, and truth. And that will attract others. That will attract them to you. And you can say, hey, this is where I experience that on a weekly basis with other people doing the same thing. That's what grace does. It changes everything in us. And it should change everything around us. Let's pray.